Thank you for listening to this week's Freedom Church podcast. We hope it helps and inspires you. Hello, everybody. My name's Natasha, and I'm one of the Connect Group leaders here at Freedom Church. And today is the second in a series of four talks looking at the first part of the book written by Daniel around uh, 530 BC and broadly covers Daniel's experiences in the court of three of the most powerful kings the world has ever known, that Nebuchadnezzar, Darius and Cyrus. Now, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had invaded Jerusalem and some of the Israelites had been deported from Israel to Babylon, which is about 890 miles away. So there's just no chance of escaping back to Israel. Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, were from high-ranking families and they've been chosen out of all the captives to go into the king's court and work there. Now, we've got to get some kind of idea of what it must have been like for Daniel and his friends. They're living in the Babylonian Empire. And that extended from Egypt through Israel up to Jordan, Saudi Arabia, Saudi Arabia, Iraq and Iran. It was absolutely massive. Babylon was the largest city in the world at that time. It was really sophisticated. It was surrounded by a city wall and they had these fortified gates named after the Babylonian gods. And then in the centre, there was a temple for the Babylonian god, Murdoch, who was, which was a seven-story ziggurat. Now, can you imagine what it's like for Daniel, his friends and all the Jews? They've been, their country's been attacked. They've seen their friends murdered, family murdered. Their whole um, city's been ransacked. And then they've been transported miles away back to another country. The equivalent for us would be like being invaded by Iran and having to walk all the way to Tehran, knowing we would never come back to England again. We would never see our home again. That's what it must have been like for Daniel and his friends. And then they're chosen to serve in the king's court because they're from high-ranking families. And they didn't have any choice about this. It's not like they're doing a job. They're expected to swallow their own Jewish identity and become really Babylonian in their thinking and serve the king's interests and also his gods. Now, chapter one has already described how the king found Daniel and his three friends superior in knowledge and wisdom than all the other magicians, sorcerers and enchanters. And they're given a position of wise men in the court. Can you imagine what that court was like? It must have been full of ego and power grabbing and backstabbing. It would have been a really dangerous place to be. And in chapter one, we've already found out in the previous um, sermon given by Sim about how Daniel and his friends have now narrowly escaped being put to death. And here in chapter three, we have Nebuchadnezzar, who we know has a massive ego, now building a gold statue 90 foot high and telling all the people whenever they hear the sound of this massive orchestra playing, they've got to bow down and worship this statue. And chapter three tells us that some of the other wise men, so probably the Babylonians who are jealous of them, go to the king and tell him that three friends are not bowing down to worship this statue. And the king confronts Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and gives them one last chance to obey him by bowing down to the statue. But they reply, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves in this matter before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God that we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. That's very brave. But even if he does not, we want you to know your majesty. We will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you've set up. 
The end result of this is that the king is furious, has him thrown into this blazing furnace. But instead of dying, an angel turns up with them. And it says that uh, the king says, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego came out of the fire and the satraps, prefects, governors and royal advisers crowded round them. They saw the fire hadn't harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their head singed. Their robes weren't scorched and there was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Wow, what a story. So why did the friends resist bowing? Because obviously all the other Jews were, and to resist would mean death. I think it's because they knew of the Ten Commandments, which you can find in uh, Exodus chapter 10, 20. And the second commandment is this. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. These friends are keenly aware that they're in a foreign culture that opposes belief in the one true God, and they've already decided to obey God. We've seen that from chapter one. And even if it means this time directly opposing the king, the question for us is this, have we decided, have you decided that you're going to stand for God, come what may, even if it costs you something, it costs you a lot. So Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego would have been building courage by reading the Bible and learning about it. How much time do we spend really trying to learn the Bible? In Isaiah 9, God talks about people hearing the words of God, but not really understanding them. It doesn't help us one iota if we just hear the Bible or even if we just believe in it. We have to actually obey it. So here's the challenge. How much time do we commit to reading the Bible and allowing God's word to transform us? Now, here in England, we're unlikely to face challenges like dying for our faith, aren't we? But there are similarities in this story that do link to our lives. Some of us will be living or working in very challenging situations. People may be making life really difficult for us, either because we want to stand up for what is right, or for some of us directly because we're Christians. So what are we going to do in these circumstances? Will we try to blend in or choose not to stand up for what, what's right? Because it's always a choice. You know, it's always costly when we choose to obey God, always. But choosing to follow Christ was never for the faint-hearted. Luke 9, in Luke 9, Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Wait a minute, you say. I thought being a Christian meant I just had to believe in Jesus. I thought he was going to help me with all my problems. I didn't know it was going to cost me anything. But that's what Jesus says. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, 
take up their cross and follow me. But the good news is he followed this by saying, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man, that's Jesus, is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they've done. Wow, these are really radical words. They're really hardcore. They're not fluffy, lovey-dovey stuff. It's Jesus saying, come on, you know, get your boots on, gear up. Following me takes courage. It takes commitment, but it is so worth it. Romans 12 tells us, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And the way that happens is about by allowing God's words to transform us, to change us. And I think that's what gave Daniel's friends courage to stand up for. I mean, they obviously hoped God would rescue them, but they were willing to die if God, in his wisdom, chose not to. I think the friends had a long-term perspective, you know, an eternal perspective. They thought, well, if we die, we're going to be with God and that will be amazing. You know, some of us might think, yeah, you know, I am willing to die for my faith, uh, but I don't want to die of embarrassment in front of my friends about standing up for my Christian faith. Let's be honest. What are our choices in this matter? We have to make decisions about what we're going to do with our faith. So what is it that actually gives us the courage to stand up? Firstly, it's by knowing what you believe in and why you believe it. And secondly, we've got to consider if it's actually worth standing up for something. And thirdly, we've got to consider the long-term consequences of standing up for something. Is it really worth it? In the, t in the case of standing up for our faith, I think it is. I think that most people don't want to stand up for what's right in life. Most people want to go along with the crowd. But there are some who are different, who in display incredible courage. And this courage can appear in all sorts of unlikely places. It doesn't happen because someone is inherently a brave person. And lots of people who wouldn't consider themselves brave or strong have stood up for what they believed in. Think of Greta Thunberg. She's the 16-year-old climate activist. Now, Greta's on the autistic spectrum. She's suffered with depression since childhood. And I don't think that she's someone who would perceive herself as being a strong, powerful person. But when she was eight, she found out about climate change and she couldn't understand why people weren't doing anything about it. So first of all, she challenged her parents about their family's carbon footprint. But gradually, she felt compelled to do more. And at 15, she simply started standing outside the Swedish parliament holding a plaque saying, school strike for climate change. And gradually things snowballed. And at 16, she ended up speaking to the United Nations Climate Action Summit for world leaders. That is a teenager that stood up for something that was right and challenged world powers. And I don't think she would consider herself a strong person. I imagine that she finds it terrifying to do these things, but she feels she has to do something about climate change. So let's not be too soft on ourselves when we say we can't stand up for something right and that it will cost us too much. The truth is, it will cost us everything if we don't. That's what Jesus said. It could cost us our very souls. 
We need to realize that this life is really short. So let's live our short life as if we're building a foundation for our future, very long, eternal life. So it's worth thinking about small examples in your everyday life where you can stand for God, even if it's in small ways, no matter how old or young you are. When I was 14, I was doing religious studies as one of my GCSEs or O-levels, as they were called back then. And we were doing chapter nine in Luke about the transfiguration of Jesus when he's on the mountain and the glory cloud of God comes down and descends on Jesus. And it says, as he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became bright as a flash of lightning. And Moses and Elijah appeared in glory splendor with Jesus. And my teacher said, it doesn't really mean what it says. You know, Jesus's face didn't alter. His clothes weren't really dazzling. You know, like when we say somebody's beaming, we mean they're smiling. He wasn't really dazzling or anything like that. You know, something in me just rose up. I was really upset that he was telling all the kids in the class that the Bible isn't true. I couldn't actually believe what I did next, but I just stood up and I just said, um, excuse me, sir. I couldn't really believe that I had actually stood up, but somehow it gave me the strength to carry on because, you know, my legs were shaking like jelly and I was really worried about what my classmates were going to think. But I said, I don't think that's what the passage means at all. I think it means what it says. I think the face of Jesus did change. I think his clothes were dazzling because like in the Old Testament, when Moses received the Ten Commandments, his face was so dazzling from being in the glory cloud of God that um, he had to put a veil over his face. So obviously it was real. I mean, this is Jesus. He's the son of God. So I think his face and clothing would be dazzling too. And I sat down and there was silence. And I didn't know what the teacher was going to say, but he just said, hmm, that's a really good point. I mean, I was still actually trembling a bit afterwards. And the class mocked me afterwards. But I think as a 14-year-old, that did something in me. It actually put strength in me, although at the time I actually felt really weak. Standing up for what you believe in actually strengthens you. And, you know, this might be a really simple story about when I was a child, but what I'm trying to say is that choosing to honour God is a decision that we can make no matter how young we are. And it builds strength in us to stand for what's right. And, you know, we're all the same. We all want people to like us. We want to impress people. We want to fit in. But have you ever thought that when we take a stand to honour God, no matter how small it is, God is so proud of us. I'm sure the angels are cheering. They're going, yeah, well done. That's so cool. You stood up for God. That's fantastic. And we may feel shit shaky. We may have found it really tough. But we've built something solid and real in our souls and that we will continue to build on. And Jesus is just thrilled with us. You know, we are all going to be given, given opportunities to stand for God. Have you ever thought when you're in these really difficult situations that God is giving you an opportunity? And sometimes in these opportunities, we have a split second to make a decision. And I think by memorizing the Bible, it really helps us. In 1 Peter 1, 7, it says, these trials will um, show that your faith is genuine. It's being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong after many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory on the, on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. 
So when faced with a challenging situation, are we going to cling to God or collude with the world's values to blend in? In ourselves, certainly I know in myself, few of us have this kind of courage or power to stand what's right. We just want people to like us too much. But here's the good news. God offers to change us, to be like himself. He's promised if we ask him, he will help us. And I truly believe that we all have the ability to be brave and courageous, even if we're really shy. In 2 Peter chapter 1, it says, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. And Hebrews 4.16 says, therefore, let us come boldly into the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help us in the time of need. God can give us courage when we're shaky. If we will just choose to stand up for what we believe in, he will help us. We're not alone doing this. The Holy Spirit is with us and he will help us. So let's pray. Father, thank you that you promise to give us your strength. That you said if we come to you into your throne room and ask you for help, you will give it to us. Make us brave, Father. Make us courageous. Thank you that you always do what you say and that your divine power will give us courage to stand in Jesus' name. Well, I hope that you recognize the opportunities that God's giving you this week and that you choose to stand for God and that you share your story with someone else. Have a great week. For more information about Freedom Church, please go to www.freedomchurch.uk Thank you for listening.